I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Carly Fortune is the author of Every Summer After, which is now a New York Times bestseller and has become one since we spoke. So this is like really exciting. Anyway, she is a debut author of Every Summer After, the New York Times and USA Today bestselling novel. Carly is an award-winning journalist who most recently served as the executive editor of Refinery29 Canada, a job that gave her a lot of pride, joy, and a few migraines. She lives in Toronto with her husband and two sons and is currently writing her second novel. Welcome, Carly. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss every summer after a novel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. Um, can you, first of all, congratulations on your book. Very exciting. Thank you. Um, can you tell listeners what it's about and what inspired you to write it? Sure. Yeah. It is a sweeping love story about Percy and Sam who meet when they're 13 years old, when Percy's family buys the cottage next door to Sam's house on a lake in Barry's Bay. And uh, the two of them are best friends. But in the present, as 30-year-olds, they haven't spoken in more than 10 years. And the book is told in alternating now and then timelines. So it's over the course of six summers in the past where you see them meet and become best friends and fall in love. And one weekend in the present where 
they're reunited and it's a very tumultuous weekend. And the whole time you're trying to figure out what it is that caused them to split apart and whether they can kind of overcome the mistakes of the past. Love that. Um, <laughs> wait, tell me about your connection to Barry's Bay. Cause I read your scary mommy piece about your aunt and all this stuff. And, um, it was mentioned there. And I feel like, like, give me the lowdown. Where is Barry's Bay? Like, tell me about this whole, like, okay. Tell me. Yes. I would be thrilled to. So <laughs> Barry's Bay is a real place. It is a small town, 1200 people in rural Ontario. Um, and I grew up there. I lived there from fourth grade until the end of high school when I moved to Toronto for university. Um, it had been where my family's cottage was when I was born. I was born in Toronto. We lived in Australia for many years. And then when we came back, my parents decided they didn't want to live in the city. They wanted to live on the lake. So we made the cottage a home. Um, so I grew up much like the character of Sam in the book down like a dirt road in the middle of the bush wow. on the lake. Um, and spent my summers, you know, on the dock, swimming all day, reading. And my parents um, had an inn and restaurant in town. So at nights I was working at the restaurant, which is something that Sam Sam's family has a restaurant too. So it is, the book is very much a love letter to that part of the world. It's been so fun to see people learn about Barry's Bay because even, you know, where I am in Toronto, most people have never heard of Barry's Bay. It's so tiny. Oh my gosh. That sounds like an idyllic way to grow up. I'm like yeah. on a little dock with a book and that, that like that, please right now. <laughs> I told, I mean, I loved that part of it. I think though, sometimes you don't appreciate what you have when you're younger. And I was dying to leave and like go to the city and make a big life for myself. But, um, I, I have, I missed the, I missed the lake. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. My parents sold that house maybe 10 years ago. Um, but we still cottage in the area, my, my husband and my kids. And, uh, we had been up there in 2020, which is why I kind of, when I started writing the book, I, I was very nostalgic for the summers of my youth. How old are your kids? Uh, my oldest is uh, almost six. He'll be six in November. And my youngest uh, just turned one. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Amazing how you can get anything done with. Uh, <laughs> we don't have time for anything, but we do everything, right? <laughs> like, that's exactly how it is. Yeah. That's my whole thesis statement. It's, I know, I know. <laughs> um, so you've had so much experience in journalism and working with Refinery29 and all that. How did you go from the dock like to here? <laughs> um, I like I studied journalism in school um, and because I, I always wanted to write. I always wanted to write a book. But I didn't think you could be an author as a full-time job. It seemed impossible to me that you could make a living that way. And I grew up, Barry's Bay is a very working class town. And my parents as restaurant owners, which is a very tough business, I saw a lot of financial struggle and I was like, no, not going to try to be a writer. That's not going to, I'm not going to be able to make a living that way. So I became a journalist, which was probably not a better decision. Um, and <laughs> Uh, studied journalism, started working right out of school and just kind of moved up in, in the world of magazines and newspapers. And eventually my, la my last job was launching Refinery29 
in Canada, the, the like edit, editorial side of the team and overseeing that. And uh, I always had it in the back of my head that I wanted to write a book, but I just never thought I would do it. Um, and I had this moment in 2020 when we were up at the lake, I had read my teenage journals in uh, lockdown a couple of months earlier, one of those first lockdown weekends. I'd never read them before. Um, So I was thinking a lot about those teenage years. And then we were up at the lake for July and August because the owner of the cottage that we rent is American and he couldn't get across the border. So he let us squat there. He let us squat there all summer. And I got off a very stressful work call and work had been really tough that year. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to write my book. I don't know what that book is, but I'm going to write it. I'm going to finish it by the end of the year and it it will be good enough. That was, that was the goal just to get a book done. Um, It felt really important in 2020, I think, to like reclaim my creativity. I hadn't done any creative work for myself as an adult. It had always been for, been for an employer. Um, so that's kind of the, it was like, I like to say it was fueled by like righteous indignation and nostalgia. <laughs> I love that. You know, the best part of what you just said is, is saying that it was good enough because I feel yeah. like there's this, at least for me and other perfectionist types, it's hard to say, I'm going to try something or I'll, I'll do it, but I won't have time to finish it. Or I don't know that maybe this isn't the perfect time. Like you can so easily fall into those traps. Like, well, I could work on it this morning, but I only have like an hour. And so it probably wouldn't be better. I'm going to wait till I have six hours or there's always some rationalization. Yeah. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to do it this morning for an hour and it's going to be good enough. And then I'll pick it up another time. Like exactly. That's so freeing. That's so like it is my shoulders sort of like exhale, you know, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The way I approached it, because I'm very goal oriented, mm-hmm. I figured out how many words um, the manuscript should be. So it was 80,000 yep. words. And then I calculated how many days were left in the year. Yep. And then how many words I'd have to write a day to get there. And it was 388 words. Oh, and I was like, I can do that. No problem. No problem. Um, So I would get up before my son woke up and before I started work and and do it then. And I didn't worry too much about whether it was good. I figured as an editor, I knew that I just needed to have something. (laughs) You can't do anything if you don't have something. Yeah. But can you go into, like I was at this author event last night and um, some of the authors were saying that they needed like big stretches of time because to really get into their voice in the novel and back into the characters, that alone takes a big chunk of time. So do you feel, but others were saying they could just like open up the laptop online at the bank or something. So are you, <laughs> do, you, do you feel like you need that kind of marination time at the beginning, like reorienting yourself or not? Um, I didn't have it. So I have, I didn't have that. I that is not how I worked. Um, and even with my se- the second book, which I've been working on now, I just finished the third draft. When I started writing it, it was six weeks after my son was born. Oh my gosh. And so I was writing it in his nap time. And we were up, we were up at the cottage that summer too. And you can't really have two small children at that cottage without having eyes on them at all times. It's not child, not child friendly at all. Um, so I've just not really had that in the dra- initial drafting phase. Um, my husband took a paternity leave 
in starting in September. He's a teacher. So he has been off with the baby this year and I have had larger chunks of time and that has been wonderful. But I would say I, when I spent what I spent a lot of time on with the second book is just fighting self-doubt. I would waste hours just trying to get over that hurdle of you can't do this. The first book was a fluke. This isn't going to be any good. Nobody's going to like it. And that's what I spent a lot of time doing. And I think maybe if I had just had that short window of time, I wouldn't have wasted it on all those voices in my head. Um, but I think every writer is so different. And uh, But I just have decided I will never have ideal conditions, I don't think. I don't even know if that exists for anybody. And so I just, I just tell myself I'm going to write it's work. I'm going to do my work. Um, that's how I approach it. Wow. I love that. Um, yeah, this other author, well, Jane Green was talking about how she worked at the guardian and they were like, you have to write 2000 words about, you know, shoe soles or I don't know, whatever in yeah. the next hour. And she's like, yes didn't have time to wait for creativity to strike. Oh. Like it was due. And I feel like you're saying the same, like, this is your work. You get it done. This is when you have to do it. No questions, no rationalization, boom. And you can just do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is absolutely it. And I think working as an editor helped me yeah. with that mindset. I don't think, you know, writing is an art and it is also craft, but it, at the end of the day, it's nothing special. Like it's, I was talking with a, with a, a very good friend of mine about this this morning, how it's work like any other work and it's different and it looks different because it's creative. But I think when we hold something in this, um, up on this platform or, or put it in this reverent place that we make it like not accessible, mm-hmm. um, but it is, it is accessible and it doesn't mean it's easy, but it's doable. Yeah. It's almost like pushing pushing fiction to journalism, right? Cause if you were an artist, right. If you were like, here's a canvas, you wouldn't be like, it's just work. I'm giving you 20 bucks. Go do it. Yes. I mean, I guess you guys, yes. I guess if you're, I, I don't know, Never mind. I, I mean, like, what's the end product? I guess, like, <laughs> yeah, that's the, you know, you're um, right. You're right. Yeah. But I think when you're approaching first drafts, you just have to, um, have faith that your future self will improve it. And then also you, and that you have an editor who you trust, who will yep. also help you get there. And, 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 uh, you just have to have faith in that process. <laughs> I love that. It's like, um, I'm viewing this as like a, like, not that I play football or anything, but just the way you said, like handing it off, right. There's yeah. like, you're throwing this pass like that you don't even know exactly, to, but it's yourself who gets to catch it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. The other day I was debating, um, I can't remember why, maybe my twin's birthday or something, they just turned 15. And I was debating if I should post a picture of myself like massively pregnant with twins, you know? And I literally said to myself, like, my younger self would kill me for doing this. Mm, I can't do that to her. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. There's nothing she would have wanted less than to be plastered all over the internet looking like. (laughs) So I was like, I can't do that to her. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. I was thinking about that too recently because um, I, as I mentioned, I had read my childhood journals, uh, before I wrote the book, not with the intention of writing a book, just as curiosity. And I kept journals from the age of seven throughout university. And I did this presentation to, uh, my imprint Berkeley set up this really smart, I thought, influencer event where we presented our books Four authors presented our books, uh, to, to, bookstagrammers and reviewers and book influencers. And my presentation, we could talk for three to five minutes about an aspect of our books. And I talked about how my journals informed writing the book. And I read little pieces of the journals and showed like some of the notes that were in there to the audience. And I was like, I don't know how teenage Carly would feel about this. Like, would I have been so mortified or would I be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe somebody's interested in this. This is so cool. Um, (laughs) But I couldn't figure it out. I didn't have an answer. (laughs) That is a really good exercise to do though. Like how would you convince in three to five minutes somebody to cover your book, read your book, right? It's more than the elevator pitch, right? It has to be like, and it's so hard. It's so hard to like keep people's attention and differentiate yourself quickly and I don't know. And, and, and describe something that is an immersive experience that takes hours. Yes. (laughs) Right. It was like a joke. It's a a miracle that any books ever sell. Well, my answer to that was like (laughs) bad performance art of (laughs) reading journals, journal entries, which are so embarrassing. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. Although now I'm like, Ooh, maybe I should open up the cabinet with all my journals in the back of my head. I'm always like, I'm saving those to write a middle grade novel at some point. You know, yeah, you should read them one, one day. My husband went to read his, uh, he kept a live journal back in the, I guess it would be early 2000s, one of those like online live journals and had oh, down, yeah, yeah. downloaded it and kept kept it. And so he was like, I'm going to read my live journals. And he started and then he stopped. He was like, no, I absolutely cannot do this. It's too awful. <laughs> the only one I read, I found a travel journal when I was um, after eighth grade, I went with my parents and my brother to China, Japan, and Hong Kong. And like a week after we got home, they got divorced. So it was, you know, I'll just tell, I'll just preface the trip with that. But um, I kept a little travel journal and I read it out loud to my kids who are like my little guys who were seven and eight at the time. And it was like, they got to know me when I was 13, 14. So and it was, cool. and there were some things that were so similar. I don't know if you found this in your journals, but like I was writing down like, everything I ate, which I still am like, so focused on. I'm like, I had the salad on the plane and it really wasn't very good. And like, then I ate this and I'm like, oh my God, you know, here I am in like Japan eating like a Caesar salad or something ridiculous. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and still today, when you have a bad lunch, you're like, ah, right. To- you know, yes. I'm like, I had Caesar salad yesterday. You know, it's like the same thing. Like I don't change. Some things just don't change about us. Um, so true. <laughs> what did you find in your journals that like rang so true for you now, if anything. I feel pretty different from that person. Um, I, of course, teenage, most of them are the teenage years and they're so dramatic. And when you're using your journal, it's when you're at your most emotional. And I felt very, I had a really close circle of girlfriends, but I felt so alone Mm -hmm. and I felt like nobody understood me. And I really wanted a boyfriend, which I did not have a boyfriend in high school. Um, and I wrote about, I had so many crushes. So I wrote all like all unrequited too. So I wrote extensively about that. Um, and so that really stuck with me, that idea of wanting to have someone who made you feel seen Mm -hmm. and heard. And then the other thing, and, and it all just felt so present, like it was 20 years ago, but it felt so present to me. There was you know, a note that I wrote my crush telling him I liked him that I never sent. I know. (laughs) And it starts out saying, I think it'll be easier if I tell you this way. And obviously it was not easier because I didn't send it. (laughs) But did you tell him, did you tell him a different way or you just never told him? Um, I'm trying to figure out which crush that was. And I think I did tell that crush and it did not not go well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm not sure it could have been an, anyway. <laughs> I think across the board, like telling crushes ne- no. does not usually pan out well. It's not a good strategy. Yeah, not a good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I had no game. Um, and then there was, <laughs> there was a letter from my best friend that was six pages long breaking up with me, which Aww. was really hard to read because that was a really hard time. Um, and there was, the thing that actually made me cry was a little note, like torn piece of paper from a girl who said, you look so pretty and stylish today. Have a great class. And I never felt pretty in high school. Mm -hmm. And it just, it brought up so much for me. And I think we often think of teenagers as quite silly and that their problems 
are small and overblown, or we think of teenagers as like hooligans. And I really wanted to, when I was writing the book, I really wanted to be empathetic about that experience. And I think there's something about those young relationships that really stick to your ribs. And um, it's certainly like reading the diaries. I was like, oh gosh, this feels like yesterday. That's so, that's the the nicest thing, like broad tears to your eyes. That's, I feel like it would have been the, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, I wouldn't even know where to start with the things that would make me cry going through my journals. I feel like <laughs> there would just be so much. It would just be like from one thing to the next. Uh, yeah. I mean, but you're right. I mean, the intensity of feeling though, in those years, like it's so intense. It's oh, like yeah. we have, we're missing a layer of skin. You know, everything yes. is, everything is so like just the sensation is like burning and like raw. So, um, yeah, there's all the, there's so much transition in a short period of time, just life transition, plus all the hormonal changes and the social changes. And it really is this like developmental, like adolescence is a developmental phase. And one thing that I think you would find this interesting, a piece I wrote for Refinery29 about motherhood and becoming a mom and learning how to be okay with just being good enough. Um, I spoke to this doctor who studied matrescence, Uh which is that like, you know, becoming a mom as a develop, like a stage like adolescence, because there is all this like physical change and social change and, um, relationship to your partner and your body, all of that change is like, kind of like going through an adolescence, but different. And that, um, I can really like appreciate the teenage years through that lens now. So true. I I found that research fascinating and like, why do we not like you become somebody totally different. Like, yes, you're caring for someone, but like you have become someone different. Yes. Yes. Overnight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, so quiet, but it like to other people. Um, and also because everybody goes through it, it's a little invisible, but it's such a huge shift for yourself. Um, I know I was not prepared for it at all. (laughs) I found myself really flailing. Yeah. I'm still flailing. It's been like 15 years. (laughs) I'm not having the, who am I? Will I ever be the same? What is this life? (laughs) Kind of. Although for the, for our second son, for his entire, he's like 15 months now, but for his entire first year, I was like, what did we do? Why did we do this? What have I done? What have I done? (laughs) I think I'm past that now. (laughs) It does get better. That sounds so trite. But no, it does. It does. It, it does get so much better. Well, you've seen with your older, but yeah, I mean, just this morning, like my younger guy said something so funny about like, oh, it, like, isn't it true that mommy long legs have longer legs than daddy long legs? And I was like, there are no mommy <laughs> long legs. He's like, yes, there are. And I'm like, I don't think so. Anyway, we got into this whole debate and I'm just like, you seem like a normal person. And yet you, you have all, like kids have the most bizarre thoughts, right? Anyway, uh, but I was like, how great that this is the morning, you know, like that, <laughs> yeah. that I'm not like cleaning up. Like I've been through all of it for so long that I can just like have a sense of humor and like find the joy and not be utterly stressed all the time because yeah. now they can at least like get themselves ready for camp. So getting themselves ready, that's a game changer. It I'm is. Waiting, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for that with the youngest. We had one day where I was like, take a shower. And like, they didn't it involve me once. They like yes. went in, took the shower, turned off the shower, got dressed, brushed their hair. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> the clouds parted. Seriously. The it was like, 
It was like I had reached the end of the road and um, <laughs> <laughs> like the pot of gold or something. <laughs> anyway, well, sorry. Uh, this is like totally just a random fun conversation at this point. I hope people <laughs> are enjoying your book every summer after and that now you've sort of fallen in love with Carly and her middle school, <laughs> high school experience and uh, uh, we'll pick up her book. So um, anyway, thanks for the very fun chat. And, Thank uh, you so much. This let's stay in touch. And hopefully I'll, I'll see you in t- Toronto or something. I would love that. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.